thought tonight we would weave a Dharma talk out of questions about practice. (coughs) So whether you are new or not, um, doesn't matter. And whether the question is a beginner's question or not, doesn't matter. It also doesn't matter if you're not a beginner and it's a beginner's question. That's okay, too. Um, so I think that pretty much covers the territory. So let's hope we have some questions. If you don't, I'll ramble off someplace. Please. What do you think if you're just starting in? I can't stop thinking about all <laughs> That's a great question. She says, what do you do if you're just starting and you can't stop thinking? Anybody else have that? Probably some of us who aren't just starting also have that. The thinking mind. For one thing, the, it's, the, it's the job of the mind to think. We need to think, right? It's really helpful that we can think. A lot of wonderful things have happened on this planet because people can think. And so it's useful. But, of course, the catch is that the mind cranks incessantly and it just goes and goes and goes. So, actually, one of the first important insights of insight practice is to see how much the mind does that and how much it loves to tell stories We had a really interesting conversation in here on Tuesday at noon when everybody, you know, people had just voted and they were waiting and they didn't know and what was going to happen. And so the minds of pretty much everyone in the room were pretty busy with a lot of stories about what if and I hope and oh please and oh no and all of those things. So you don't need an election to do that. It happens, you know, no matter what. And so one of the first insights is just seeing that the mind gets caught, it goes off, it plans, it worries, it daydreams, it comments, it judges. And it's important to see that. What you also begin to get is, I mean, have you noticed the novels are terrible? My mind writes the most awful stories, and not only that, it writes them over and over and over and over again. So after a while, you begin to realize that this thinking mind, for all that it's useful, is also kind of not so wonderful. And who wants to go through, you know, I said, he said, what will we do, blah, 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 one more time. And so you begin to see that when it gets a little quiet, it's delicious. And that's actually kind of an interesting place to begin to see, oh, I could just rest here. Because when we see that it's actually a very happy, very pleasant place, that actually will help to strengthen your concentration and help the mind to be a little quieter. And it's a long road. And concentration comes and it goes. And so sometimes all you can do is notice that the mind is nuts. (laughs) And sometimes I've sat at retreats. I've used, I think in those days I used to use the note that it was nutsy bananas, you know. <laughs> or just to notice that the mind is crazed. And, and actually that's useful because out in the world if the mind is crazed, 
you don't want to be making decisions um, or responses to people out of your crazed mind. So to help to, to see that is actually quite useful. And then it's a training. And it's really, really helpful to think of practice as a training. It's like what you do when you go to the gym. And, you know, when I go to the gym, some days I have good days and some days I have bad days. And, and But gradually, gradually, if you keep at it, you get stronger. And gradually, gradually, if you take on the training of the mind and the heart, it gets stronger and it can stay present longer and it's clearer and it is sometimes very quiet and then sometimes it's noisy again. So keep at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else. Please. I was wondering if there was a specific technique for meditating upon waking. Um, I've heard wake up, get up, sit. I like to lay there in bed. And <laughs> I want my coffee first. <laughs> um, I don't fall back to sleep a lot, but my mind, I, I notice it starts to go. And so I just basically do the same technique that I would do if I was sitting but I was told somewhere that there is a technique for lying down meditation. Well, it's one of the postures that the Buddha gives us. The Buddha says there are four postures for practice, sitting, standing, walking, which is somehow not standing, I've never quite understood that, and lying down. So it is possible to meditate lying down, and of course the big catch to meditating lying down is sleepiness, right. So you're much more comfortable and you're much more likely to fall asleep. Some people have to meditate lying down. Their bodies will not allow them to sit for any extended period of time. And I've seen people lie there and hold their hand at their at right angles to their body, and then if the hand begins to droop, that signals to them that they need to. <clears throat> for the most part, we don't usually recommend it if you don't have to do it. But... It would be fine as part of your morning practice to lie there. You might, one of the things that I carry around me is just something that I heard about the Dalai Lama once who makes, you know, creates an intention when he wakes up. May everything I do today be a benefit to all sentient beings. You know, simple. You know, you can do that before you get out of bed. And you sort of create that intention. And then you lie there for a while or but I wouldn't do lying down practice instead of sitting practice unless your body really needs to unless you have a body that's disabled or something yeah of course it is of course it is but you can notice that you know and then if there's some intention you know attachment or or you know if you begin to say oh, oh wait a minute you know maybe this is a little more about I don't know, some resistance or something like that, then maybe there's something to be done about it, but not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Please. This is was my first time being here and something that's, it was great, but it was very long for me. Yeah. And if I'm wanting to build a practice... Come on Wednesday night. Come on Wednesday night. Yeah. There's a, I'll announce, I'll announce it now, there's a beginner's class that just started... Uh, uh, what are you calling it? It's not a beginner's Basics class. Of Buddhist Basics of Buddhist practice. Sure. With somewhat shorter sets. And, <laughs> and we've actually talked about people who go to those classes taking a field trip to come here. 
so that when we get the longer sit, you can kind of hold somebody else's hand and not be so worried about it. But yes, it is long, and you know you, what you can do is kind of renew your sit every now and then. If it's if it's long, and then you get kind of tired and you drift off, and you look at your watch and you go, "Oh God, twenty more minutes." <coughs> So take a breath, you know, move your body around, and then start again and have another shorter sit. There, there are somebody asked me who is also new tonight. You know, could she move? You know, that's always like, oh my God, maybe they're going to come and hit me with a stick, right? And we don't do that here. And there aren't any police. And so, you know, if you need to move or to adjust your posture, do that and do it mindfully. That's the big thing, and it's the great thing about this practice is that it's about mindfulness, so it's about presence. The minute you do whatever you're doing mindfully, you're back in the practice. Isn't that cool? It's really cool. So you you can't, in a sense, not do it. So if, if you're thinking, oh, I've got to move, you know, I just, uh, uh. So then you notice, oh, I'm thinking that I've got to move. There you are, you're right in it. And then maybe you make a decision to move, and then you notice, oh, I'm moving. You know? And maybe you even stretch up a little, hoping that nobody's looking. <laughs> and then you continue. Yeah. But welcome, and I hope you will try the, the Wednesday evening class and come back on Thursday. Now that you've done it once, it'll be easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You were brave to come here the first time. Good. Anyone else? Please. So, um, I've heard this question asked before, but I've never really got the answer to it. <laughs> did, you, was it did you hear it asked of me? No, it was actually Spirit Rock. Oh, okay. All right, we'll have a try. But, um, the difference between observing the breath and sensing that you're controlling your breath. Ah, uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and particularly tonight, when I came in and I'm kind of agitated because I'm coming through traffic and I get here and I feel my body kind of speedy and very oftentimes when that happens when I I start meditating my body comes down very quickly and then I start I start noticing the drowsiness and I'm fighting it so I was actually consciously trying to breathe in this very full way Mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. awake and I start thinking is that an illegal meditation? Yes, and there's a fine. <laughs> no. Um, it's, it's actually interesting because the instruction is sometimes given, allow the breath to do anything it wants to do. And the Buddha says in the text, if you breathe a long breath, know that you're breathing a long breath. If you breathe a short breath, know that you're breathing a short breath, that kind of thing. So you can, there is no requirement to breathe in a particular way. And it's true that sometimes when we breathe in a particular way, it actually calms the body and mind. And so you can intentionally breathe that way, knowing, because that's what the Buddha would say, know that you are breathing in a particular way in order to calm the body and mind. And then notice that the body and mind begin to relax. And then at some point you may want to let go of it. And just let the breath come and go. Often though when the mind does get very concentrated and quiet the breath quite naturally gets very subtle and sometimes almost imperceptible um, and then sometimes you actually need someplace else to put the mind because it's so hard to 
to be aware of the breath at that point. When I was actually consciously doing the opposite of doing this very deep breath, uh huh, uh huh. That can be that can be a lot quite helpful just to energize the body and to really because there's a lot of sensation with that kind of breathing gets you right here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people do. You know, sometimes there's that that really rapid breathing that you do in yoga. Sometimes you know the. And every now and then when I've been really sleepy on the cushion, as quietly as possible, you know, do a little <laughs> to bring the energy in. So you can play with it. Um, know what you're doing when you're doing it. Yeah. Um, I have some confusion about um, when... The feeling or emotion uh-huh. arises that there's a story behind it. Uh-huh. Which it often does. Well, so you're watching it rise, you're looking at it, and then the story yeah. jumps in. Yep. And that whole dance about what to do with a story, <laughs> you know, where do you put it, or, or you know, how to stay mindful with the emotion without pulling from it. We'll ignore it. Um, so when there's a strong emotion, anger, sadness, sometimes there's a lot of story around the emotion, right? And the story and the feeling are all tangled up and there's so often like with anger let's just take anger there's there can be body sensations that go with it the jaw can tighten the stomach can tighten you can heat can arise in the body there can be all kinds of things that that happen in the body as part of the anger and the best image i've ever been given is it's like you have a ball of red thread and white thread you have the story and the body sensations, and they're all tangled up together. It's very, very hard to disentangle them. And we say, oh, that's anger, right? Or that's Mm -hmm. sadness, or whatever. It can be quite interesting to begin to tease them apart, to notice, oh, here's the story, and here's some pieces that are just the story, and notice the story, and then to notice the body sensations. And then sometimes we see, for example, as you get really good at this, the body sensations happen and there isn't a story and then the mind is really quick to provide the story to go with the body sensations. You know, mm-hmm. And so it's helpful to begin to see that both of those are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just acknowledge the story and try not to get caught in the, in the narrative of mm-hmm. it. To just notice, oh, that's that story. And here's the... So usually the best thing to do is to try to stay as much as possible with the felt sensation in the body you know, and work with it that way. Yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah. But they definitely are there. We've had a lot of stories this week, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people. Any questions around working with any of that? You're all doing really well. <laughs> One of the things that came up on Tuesday was I, I was I was as I talked on Tuesday, I was very aware, a couple of you were here, that I was talking as much for myself as I was for anyone else. 
But the Buddha never said that in order to be happy you have to win the election. (laughs) You know, he didn't. And, you know, it helps. (laughs) It helps. You know, but it's interesting, of course, here, you know, I mean, depending on how you voted, and we don't need to go there, but probably everybody got some of what they wanted and didn't get some of what they wanted. That's pretty much how this one seems to have played out. And so it's very interesting to begin to work with, okay, we got what we wanted. We got what we wanted. Yay! You know, all this happiness and joy that we're seeing around. But that's not the happiness that the Buddha is talking about. And on the other hand, you didn't get what we wanted, you know. And there's this whole other piece that is happening for many of us. And, um, and how then to hold that and to still understand that it's possible to come to an ending of suffering with either of those situations and with both of them happening at the same time because the happiness that the Buddha is talking about is not the happiness of getting what you want because getting what you want you know, no matter, let's just assume because it is Santa Cruz and it's a fairly safe assumption <laughs> that we're all happy about the new president there might be some people in here who aren't but but let's just play with that. So we got him. You know, yay. But you know, I mean, everybody's worried, right? What happens if he dies? What happens if somebody assassinates him? And any way you cut it, in eight years, we don't have him. So he's as impermanent as any, anything. He, it, so we can't make that our lasting happiness, right? Or you didn't get, you know, we didn't get rights for our gay and lesbian friends to be married legally. And in fact they got taken away from them. So so that's really distressing and there's a lot of suffering and pain and sadness around that for many people in our community. And is it possible whether you are straight or gay or lesbian or whatever it is that you are, to also come to an end of suffering even when we're not getting what we're wanting, you know, that there's a place of seeing that this is all coming and going in a much bigger picture, that we don't, you know, in some ways we really don't have any idea what's going on, and that when we can not get quite so attached to having what we want, then no matter what comes, then there's a possibility of equanimity, you know. We've had a great model of equanimity walking around on the planet in recent weeks, and it's been helpful to me just to watch him, to just see how how equanimous he is. And there's certainly plenty of other models around of people who who seem to be able to ride the surf, which is a great Santa Cruz image. And so, you know, whatever kind of wave comes along, you know, you do your best to ride it, and if you fall off your surfboard, then you pull yourself back out of the water and you do it again. So that's really a lot, I think, of how to work with this particular situation in time, that um, to really enjoy the celebration and the sense that the whole world is happy, which I'm certainly completely enjoying, and and yet at the same time to understand that this isn't going to fix it, this isn't going to do it, this is not what the Buddha is talking about. And, um, and to keep that sense so you don't get caught in the story of the 
happiness and getting what you want any more than you get caught in the story of loss and sadness and not getting um, what you wanted. And that we can continue to um, develop wisdom and compassion in our practice, you know, no matter what happens. So, so I wanted to put that in the soup tonight because it seems really important to include it as part of our practice that as we move into these coming weeks, you know, we've all been through <laughs> what, the longest campaign ever, and so now it's changed, and, and we get to see what happens next and to pay attention to that. So maybe there's some questions around that. Please. Um, one of the ways that I've been trying to deal with my fears and anxiety about his well-being is that um, we, just last week, instead of um, doing a lot of practice trying, you know, towards him being safe, is I just suddenly shifted my focus on doing a lot of meta to people who are thinking of harming him or made want to harm him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and, yeah. just kinda, and that really felt really helpful uh-huh. Uh-huh. to be able to do that. Seems like a really wise thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so apparent to me one of the great teachings in this election has been because this the that my political adult life spans the entire time of the civil rights mm-hmm. movement. I was at I was in Washington in 1963 for the Martin Luther King Watch march and I knew people who were some of the freedom writers down in the South. And it often has seemed in me all of this time that it was to no avail. Why are we doing this? You know, we work so hard and then this or that happens and we're not getting anywhere. And the teachings about karma are that all actions have their reverberation, Right? So no matter what you do, if you do it with good intention, out of wisdom and compassion, it will create that reverberation in the world. You may not get that, that immediate result that we, that instant gratification that we like, but that reverberation is going out in the world. Now, I am here to tell you, I really do believe that we saw how that works. That, that in this amazing event of a black man being elected to be the president, that that is the reverberation of all those karmic acts. Many, many, many that seemed many times to be kind of hopeless. And so that's pretty wonderful and I think really useful to carry around to remember that that's how it works. You know, that that whether you're working for peace or some or the end of global warming and doing something effective about climate change, or whether you're, you know, working on a better, you know, health care for, you know, people, or whatever it is that you're working on, to just know that it, it isn't lost. Nothing is lost. And that at some point it will bear some fruit. That's pretty amazing to remember. Yeah. 
Well, maybe it's almost time for cookies. What do you think? Um, let me make a couple of announcements. We've already talked about the um, new 